You're listening to episode 41 of Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Let's chat. Discover children at a whole new level. Be empowered to grow with the children in your life. Welcome to Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Hi there and welcome to Chat About Children where we chat about all things children and empower you to grow with the children in your life. Today's episode is one of my special episodes, my spotlight on children's author episodes, which I periodically do record with wonderful children's authors. And today I had the absolute pleasure of chatting to Katrina McKelvey, and I am super excited to have you meet her as well. So let's get the chat started. Katrina McKelvey is a children's author, former primary school teacher, wife and mother to two tweenagers and a cocker spaniel. She's written many children's picture books and educational readers, including No Baths Week, Up to Something, and her most current book baby, Isla's Family Tree, which she's just given birth to this month. She also has another children's picture book due out very, very soon. Katrina is highly involved in the Children's Book Council of Australia. She's also involved in literary conferences and with the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, and also is very proactive and engaged in writers' festivals and loves visiting schools. She's left-handed, she loves tea and roller coasters, and is addicted to mint chocolate. While in lockdown in Disney World a few years ago, she survived Hurricane Jean, which was a Category 5 hurricane, by eating awful brownies. Katrina McKelvey, welcome to Spotlight on Children's Author episode of Chat About Children. Thanks for having me. Now, I'm going to start with an important question. Why were the brownies awful? Because they were American brownies. So, and they <laughs> hey, were... we've got US listeners, Katrina. Be nice. Be nice. So <laughs> well, we were specify. in Disney World. Oh, well, it was similar to what our supermarkets are like now. They were pre-made. They were in packaging in this makeshift supermarket in the middle of Disney World and everyone was just grabbing anything they could because they were clearing the shelves because yeah. we knew we were going into lockdown that night and everyone just grabbed whatever and I we grabbed brownies. That's all that was left. Like it was <laughs> I try to grab toilet paper these days. And, yeah, and I don't even like chocolate-cooked food. Wow. I love chocolate but not chocolate-flavoured food. But they were full of energy, Katrina. They were, yeah, we were locked down for 24 hours. So, yeah, that's what we got through. <laughs> oh, fantastic. So let's get to talking about you as a children's author, which is why you're having the chat today. Can we learn a little bit more about you before the children's author stage? Because you had some amazing stuff going on before then that led you to being a children's author. I was a primary, so I studied to be a primary school teacher straight out of high school. I spent my entire education dreaming and wanting to be a teacher. And I remember my daughter does it now, it scares me, playing as a teacher with dolls and friends, neighbourhood friends from preschool. And so my dream was always to be a teacher. Mum was always very worried that that was my only dream I ever had. I wanted to be a teacher and got there. That was, that was all great. Came to Newcastle in New South Wales and studied at the University of Newcastle, got my degree and went out. It was exactly the way I imagined it would be teaching kids. Like, gosh, I loved it, especially the older kids in year five and year six. And did that job. I thought I would find me as a skeleton in my supply cupboard one day. I thought I'd retire (laughs) doing that job. I just couldn't imagine myself doing anything else. And I threw myself into everything, every extra activity I could do with the kids. I was heavily involved in school musicals and school choir. And, you know, because I was doing year six, we had lots of extra activities with them. 
and had a ball, loved it. But I worked so hard, I burnt out. I absolutely mm. burnt out. And I just wanted to then be with my children. And um, so I went home and quit teaching and raised my two kids. I just loved being stay, a stay-at-home mum full-time. I loved it. Wonderful. And got... But I miss the creative side of teaching. You know, I was creating things with the kids yeah. and, you know, you're making the classrooms look beautiful and you're making up lessons. And so I really, really missed being creative and, and I wanted to be back with kids again. I knew I just had to do something and decided it's funny. I thought the universe will let me know what I need to do next. And so I just relaxed for a couple of years with the kids and had a good routine going. I had good babies and really enjoyed being a mum. And then one day I sat up, I'll never forget, I sat up in bed one night. It was about 3 a.m. in the morning. Oh, my goodness, I know what I want to do. And a friend of mine was doing some illustration at the time, not for children's books, um, to doing pottery and things. And I went around to her house and I said, I know, I know what we're doing because she was a stay-at-home mum with her kids as well at the time. And, yeah, that's where it all started, this one night in bed. I knew I was one day work out what I was going to do and we decided to write for children. I wanted to just make, I didn't want to give away my teaching degree and all the experience I had with teaching my mother used to always say don't you waste that university degree (laughs) (laughs) never wasted one big thing no don't waste it and so yeah so I thought what a great way my husband was working his way up in his career and so I thought how can I be flexible so I can raise the kids go and do the preschool go and do things up at the school because you know what I loved education and wanted now I was the parent I knew what was going on behind the scenes I wanted to keep my eye on it yeah but I also wanted him to be able to have flexibility he needed to do lots of traveling to Sydney and I needed a creative outlet and so that's how I ended up writing for children That's fantastic. And it just sounds like a natural evolution, really, because you would have had that all that formal professional experience and then becoming a mum, you've got that personal mum experience. And it's a beautifully rounded way to be creative, I think. I think so. Yeah, when you're contributing to children's books. So that's wonderful. Well, I did a year in kindergarten and so I actually had to teach children how to read some of them from scratch and, gee, that was insightful, 12 months. I mean, after that 12 months I was exhausted and over-teaching children that age but I probably (laughs) learned the most about children in that 12 months and and it was a great insight into how to teach and learn to read and write and I used all those experiences every day. Even at the end of last year I was asked to write some educational texts or an education publisher and oh my goodness all that that learning and teaching of the young kids all came back to me and with the phonics and all that stuff so yeah it's beautiful and it's a nice way for you also personally to experience all your skills coming together in that way and I think that's a really special way to experience your skills and your abilities and your talents yeah, well, I had to teach my children how to read as a parent, not as the teacher. And so, yeah, so I'm often juggling one hat with the other hat. And But funny, when I started writing, I was starting to write too preachy, but the teacher in me was too strong and it took me years to get rid of that and be a storyteller. There's a big difference. Yeah, yeah big difference. It's a tricky one. <laughs> oh, very, very hard because as you probably know, there are a lot of children's authors who are primary school teachers or mm-hmm. are librarians. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now tell us a bit about your childhood. We know you wanted to be a teacher and you did that tick awesome, but you didn't really like reading as a kid, did you? No, I didn't realise it until I started writing for children. I actually was a reluctant reader. It wasn't modelled in the house and we didn't 
get taken to the library. School library was a place where you were not to speak and so it wasn't a nice place to be and the books weren't as exciting as they are now. They didn't have the colour printing that they, we have now and all the extra illustrations and the understanding of, you know, using space on a page and all those types of things. So, yeah, books didn't excite me. I was an outdoor kid and I was up trees and climbing roofs and riding my push bike. I was in, I grew up in the country and loved it. My friend had a property out of town and I used to go out there riding motorbikes and on the backs of horses and absolutely loved it, loved being outside. And when I was inside, I was doing puzzles, still puzzles and board games and things like that. I wasn't reading. Yep, yep, yep. But you're engaging with the world, you know, and that just adds richness to what you're writing now and what you have written in the past, Katrina. So what have you done a bit differently in raising your children? What have you done differently when you kind of put the author hat on? Did things change for your kids? Did they notice? (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) What's going on, Mum? What are you doing? Oh, what are you doing? Well, of course, my children's bookshelves are full of books. They have been going to public libraries for a very, very long time and they borrow, not so much now, but when they were little, they borrowed books everywhere from the school library. And so lots of access to books, whether they're at home or out and about. But I really didn't discover my love of books until I started going on play date with a couple of other little girls who were doing ballet with my daughter and they were toddlers. And the pattern was you'd go and do the, les- the little ballet lesson, then we'd go and have a coffee in a cafe, and then beside the cafe was a public library, and we'd go and read books. And that's when it all started. I went, oh, my goodness, some of these books, I don't know about them. So I thought, <laughs> I could do that. And that's sort of where then I had that sit-up moment in the bed that night, and it all came, it all just came together. And, of course, my kids got given books as gifts. I gave books as gifts to other people and all I could dream about was one day I'm going to have my name on the cover of a book and I'm going to give the joy to kids that my kids are getting from other books. So, yeah. Yeah, beautiful stuff, beautiful stuff. So do you think you're just going to, this could be a hard one to answer now, but in the zone you're in right now, are you going to keep going with the children's genre? Are you kind of wandering with your mind going, oh, I might look at a different genre. I might write for tween ages now that my kids are tweens. (laughs) Where's it going? Where's it going for you? I'm actually studying junior fiction at the moment. I've done a couple of courses and I'm starting to read, I've got a pile of junior fiction books that I'm reading to study the structure and what are the, the patterns that are making these books successful. Because I find that picture books are really tight with word count and I'm a talker and I also find a bit of a writer. However, being a reluctant reader, I also find a bit of a reluctant writer. So the longer middle grade pieces that I don't want to do that they're all too long so I'd love to start with chapter books that kids want to move into as they come off picture books nice so their first independent book that they can read so very early chapter books you know word counts 1500 to 5000 sort of in there so yeah and I've got a series all mapped out I just have to just lock myself down and glue myself to the chair and do it Now's kind of a good time, but not. Yeah. Have you got homeschooling so going on now? So you got the time, but you're homeschooling. Yeah, hmm. yeah, yeah. The kids can look after themselves. It's all okay. I'll do it. <laughs> oh, you just do what you can. Now, you have done and you love doing author visits. A lot of authors love author visits. But for you, Katrina, tell me a little bit about a really memorable author visit that you had, maybe where a child has said something that's stuck in your mind for better or for worse. I mean. Share with us a really memorable school visit you've had and maybe how kids might describe you 
for better or for worse, after a school visit. I was fortunate enough to be chosen to go to the Bellingen Readers and Writers Festival last year. I don't think it'll be on this year. And I was up there for three days and did back-to-back school visits those three days. And I remember being in a public school and there was socioeconomically disadvantaged children there. And I was doing this writing activity with a group of Year 6 kids and when I ask kids to read their writing back to me, I never, ever pick people. I wait for volunteers because when I was their age, if you asked me to read something in public, I would have just died. And I know lots of kids feel that way, so I never put that pressure on them. And I tell them that straight at the beginning, you'll never be asked to do something you're uncomfortable with in my workshop. And this little boy was sort of being encouraged to read his work and he was reluctant and he started And he wasn't a very good reader and he wasn't a very good writer. But the whole class was just mesmerised that this child was actually wanting to read his work out aloud. So he had a panic attack and I said to him, listen, after the workshop, I want to hear this story. Can you please read it to me? And he said, yeah, sure. So the teacher stayed back with me and another student and he read that story to me and then he ran off so fast that I never saw him again. And the teacher just stood there and was so upset and said, you've got no idea what that meant to him, to us. You've got no idea. And I don't. I really don't know the context of this child. But just to know that he probably will remember that for the rest of his life and that his classmates saw him have a little bit of courage in himself and read that piece of writing out aloud because a lot of kids are scared to read their writing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll never forget him. Yeah, I'll never forget him. That's just beautiful. And I think you highlight what children's books can do for children. And I have to say, even for adults sometimes, because it happens to me when I'm reading some children's books to my kids. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I got so much out of that. I might be getting a bit teary. And they're like, yep, okay, we got it. We're good. (laughs) So anyway, but getting back to that story, but that deep impact, I mean, it's so real. And that's what children's books do is they really do have a deep impact on people. And as authors, and you would feel this, you don't know what the context is, but all you know is... You don't. And I've had situations where... Son- yes. Sorry, I've cut you That's off. all right. I was just going to say, all you know is that in a very humbling way that you have instigated a very positive shift for that individual. Mm. Yeah. And it's almost quite silencing, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And the funny thing is, every class group that I work with, there's a child in there that is exactly that child. And so I always ask, after I've picked a couple of kids to volunteer, because I don't know which kids what, I know there's a child there who's probably got their hand up for the first time, and I don't know that. So I always ask a teacher, and I do this publicly, can you please pick a child who often doesn't share their work to share their work today, and they will pick that child for me so I can't miss them. And then I get the feedback afterwards going, do you know what? That child's never written anything, never written as much. We've never heard him read it out aloud. So, yeah. So for any educators or, you know, other authors or illustrators out there, ask the people in the room who know the kids to pick that child because they're there. They're in the room. Yeah, that's a fantastic tip. Thank you, Katrina. So on the topic of giving a bit of advice and some tips to parents, particularly, look, right now there's a lot of homeschooling going on, but even outside of that, there's always a subgroup of kids who just don't enjoy writing. Do you have a top tip or a couple of tips for parents to support those kids? Yes, writing. Follow other authors on social media. 
they are doing some amazing things, especially now. They're all coming out. They're, they, some of them have their own YouTube channels. Some yeah. of them are doing live readings on either Instagram or Facebook or they've pre-taped things and put them on their YouTube channel. Go and find the favourite books that you were reading or the popular ones or go and ask for advice from bookshops or librarians. Go and Google them and find out where they are and follow them. They are so inspirational. While I'm learning to write for children because I find, you know, you never stop learning how to write for children. That's what I, I love to listen to other authors and illustrators talk about their journey in writing and the stories behind the stories and I find it very, very inspirational. So I highly recommend Go and find out who wrote the stories you enjoy. Go and find out how to connect with that person and use that as inspiration for your writing. Another thing is to, for the child who is really good at writing, go enter competitions and get feedback on your writing because teachers at school don't have time to do that. Yeah. And a lot of them don't know the ins and outs of creative writing. Like They might know narrative structure and all that stuff, but they really don't get nitty-gritty with character development and pacing and tone and all those those deeper level elements in narrative. So I would suggest join competitions, get feedback, maybe even connect with somebody local who is a professional writer and ask them to be your mentor. And so they can be the person who is your little cheer squad and can then tell you where the competitions are to enter and give you really good feedback as an author to an aspiring author. Because I know EK Books have actually published a few years ago now a book written by a girl. She was in year six at the time and they published her and the book came out when she was in year seven. So, you know, publishers don't mind if the, the a child's written the story. If it's a good story, they'll publish it. So, yeah, go and work out there and show people. But your classroom teacher is probably not the best person. Well, they're just so just time restricted, aren't they, with everything going on in the curriculum. But I love those tips and it's very nurturing. And I think often for kids who love writing and they just want to do more of it, I think that's a fantastic way to just nurture and mentor it in a way that is going to work for them and what they need as an individual. Because I I mean, I do, do know some kids who love writing and a lot of them have, I can't generalize, but some of them have a little bit of that perfectionist quality and they get very nervous about anyone reading their work and they might have just amazing work but that almost anxiety around you know someone not giving positive feedback and look adults feel the same way I've got to say when we submit stuff you know Mm. so I think there's what you've just advised there is a really nice nurturing and personal way Mm. that Mm. they can build that confidence that they can almost build a bit of resilience too in getting a little bit of feedback in knowing that, you know, we can actually enhance this and it doesn't mean you've done anything wrong, which is Mm. often what kids can kind of fall to is, oh, that's no good, they didn't like it. Mm. And then they fall, they go down that avenue. And, you know, sometimes, I don't know what you say to kids, but sometimes I say, do you like it? What do you like about it? Like, Mm. look at a little bit of your self-awareness about your own writing. But yeah, that's just something that I've seen professionally and personally. So I think I really like that mentoring, the competitions. And also, Katrina, there's heaps of authors that are doing amazing online courses for kids yeah. too, which is fantastic. So yeah, just have to throw that in there. You may have been going to say that later, but yes, that's <laughs> happening a lot too. What about your thoughts on the kids who don't really like reading? Now, you can relate to this one a little, mm. but what's a, a top suggestion you'd have for parents and educators around this one? 
I would go and ask professionals to give you advice. So go and speak to the bookshop sellers and go and speak to children's librarians. They'll know exactly where to send you. Let children pick their own books to read. So parents may go, oh, that's just a silly book. It's about, you know, it's got fart jokes and all that sort of stuff in it. Who cares? People who are starting to get curious about reading and starting to develop good reading habits, they will start with the toilet humour. They really will. And they'll start with the silly humour and the the funny, quirky sort of humour. But as they become more sophisticated readers, they will naturally get off that and they will move into adventure stories and action stories and then move into more complex stories like uh, fantasy and mystery stories and things like that. So let them pick their own books. That's where I start. And it doesn't matter that it's not the book you'd pick for them. You don't reading it. Second thing is share books together. So, you know, have time together where the child reads to the adult or the child reads to a pet or you share the reading. So you say, okay, let's do a paragraph each. Let's do a page each. Our game, but let the child choose that book. Audio books are a really good way of getting children involved in reading. They might like to have the hard copy and let the audio person read the story for them while they're following the words with their eyes. I think that's another good way. And also to have a look at the design of the book. Open it up and see, especially junior fiction, there's plenty of space between the words. The type isn't really small. There's not too many words on a page. Lots of illustrations. The texts are broken up into small chunks. You know, you might even have different text types in there like a diary entry, then a sign, then a poster, then, you know, and there's paragraphs of text in between. So it gets broken up into small bite-sized pieces for that child to digest. There's nothing worse than being a reluctant reader and picking out a book and you're opening it up and all you can see are words everywhere on the page and there's nothing breaking up those words. There's no illustrations. There's no white space. So yeah, have a look at the book before you pick it up. Open the cover, look inside and see how the pages are um, laid out. And also, you know, go and have a look at books that nearly look like graphic novels there's heaps of those in that you know age group for seven to nine year olds that are heavily illustrated you know the weirdo series for instance they just released number 14 yesterday they are so heavily illustrated and there's so many books out there that are designed very very similar way that if you fly through that series go and do another one so they're my tips And you've highlighted some really important things there, which are allowing kids to discover books. That's really important Mm. to just facilitate that, follow their lead in in terms of their interest. You know, the Mm. fact that they're even picking up a book and flicking Mm. through it is an enormous step for some kids. And then the next Mm. step is obviously them going, hey, like this is really amazing. And it's, you know, I guess their experience of that book. And as you said, then they kind of go from there. And there is a huge variety, as you said. There's a huge variety of books that there is something for every child out there. Absolutely, 100%. So that's fantastic. They're awesome tips. Now, little things for some of the adults that are listening, and, and I think it's good for you here, Katrina, just let us know a little bit about, you've been quite a proactive author. When it comes to supporting adults who want to further their writing, can you tell us a bit more about, you know, what you set up in your local area and some of the work you do for some of those adults that do want to look further into, you know, enhancing or developing their writing to become authors potentially? Yeah, yeah. Well, tip number one, go and find out who your local children's authors, as children's librarians are in your public libraries because they're great for advising you what to read because if you want to write for children, you have to read the books that you want to write. So go crazy with your reading. 
go and become friends with your local bookseller. Again, they're a great resource for what books to read in the area that you want to write. Go and find out well, if you have a local writing festival in your town or city and attend it, volunteer at it, and eventually you could be presenting at it. That's how I started with the Newcastle Writers' Festival. Volunteered for a long time, ended up managing the volunteers of the school's program, Became ended up on the board, advised then who to get in the school's program, and then I ended up presenting once my first book came out. And last year I did some um, writing workshops. And this year I was going to actually share a Q&A session with Graham Bass, which I was so disappointed can't happen now because, as you know, festivals aren't going ahead at the moment. Yes. So hopefully I'll get that opportunity again later. Yes. Join a writing group. Now, we're lucky where I live, we've got the Hunter Writer Centre, but most cities have a writer centre that facilitate writing groups or the local bookshop might do that, the libraries might do that. If you can't find one, I suggest you either start one or go and join an online one. And there are a few groups that do do that. The Creative Kids Tales do online protect groups and so does Squibby, Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. I'm actually a member of one of those groups and they're absolutely fabulous. And I facilitate face-to-face group through the Hunter Writer Centre. And I'm actually now travelling to Sydney once a month and I'm going to another one down in Sydney linked with the Writing New South Wales, which is the former Writer Centre of New South Wales. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, and also to go to people's book launches. Go and keep an eye on what events are happening in your local area and go and celebrate other people's books because then they might come and celebrate yours when yours finally comes out. So go to your local public events and find out who the other authors and illustrators are in your area and become friends with them because I've found that they become then your friends forever. Yeah, fantastic. That is great advice. Very, very valuable advice for all the writers that are listening that do want to continue nurturing their writing skills and be published one day. So thank you, Katrina. Now I want to get on to a bit of a chat about the recent birth of your book, Isla's Family Tree, which was just born like this month. It is a beautiful, beautiful story. And I've got to say the distinct illustrations are just amazing, Katrina. Mm. They're by Prue Pitock. Both of you have just put together, I just keep saying beautiful, but it is a really beautiful children's book. Tell us a little bit about what inspired the story and a bit about what it's about, because it is a universally themed book that everyone can relate to. We've all been born into a family and they're all super different. So this book is really relatable to everybody. So tell us a bit more about the inspiration. Yeah. Okay. Well, I hope that I've tried to design Isla's family so that everybody can find a part of her family in their family. So I'm hoping that I've got that right. So Isla's family tree is about a girl called Isla and she, at this stage, she's the only child in her family and she does have a mum and a dad and mum's heavily pregnant. And Isla just says one day, no, our family is too full. We are not having these babies. Sorry, there's no room. And mum goes, oh, come on, let me just show you how our family is connected together and I'll show you how families work. So mum sits it down and they start constructing their family tree and we hear all about the different parts of Isla's family on her mum's side. And Isla's going, no, no, see, the tree's too full. They're not staying. The baby's not staying here. Then mum hands Isla two leaves. And then Isla realises, oh, my goodness, there's not one baby. There's two babies. There's absolutely (laughs) definitely no room in our tree for one baby, let alone two babies. So mum goes and has the 
goes to hospital to have the babies. And Isla goes, let me have another think about this. So she pulls a family tree up that her and her mum made. It's just like a craft activity. It's not the, you know, the draw the lines formal one with the, the drop down lines. I don't even know what they're called. Yes. It's a crafty one that you do yes. with kids. And so Isla goes, all right, let's have a look at this. So we go through the different parts of the family and Isla goes, well, maybe they could stay there because they have a big house and maybe they can stay there because they had a baby, had a party when, you know, Azalea came to live with them. So there's an adoption there. And in the end, mum comes home to the babies and goes, you know, where are these babies going? And Isla goes, no, they're not staying here. They're going off to, I think it was Auntie Daisy's house. And mum goes, mm, let's just meet them first. So she sits down with these babies and, of course, falls in love with them. And then she's got to try and work out how to fit them on the tree because she wants to stay. And I'm not going to spoil the end. I was going to say, don't tell us more, Katrina. Because <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I want you to go and buy the book and find it right and find out what the ending is and what I got an opportunity to read it live a couple of weeks ago at a local event and when I read the last page it caught me by surprise I actually cried I cried as I read the last page I had to pull myself together to read the last page so I'm Mm. hoping that if that has an impact on me I hope that impact is elsewhere yeah it's a hugely sentimental book and you haven't told us yet Katrina the backstory yes backstory (laughs) so in 2012 My son was in kindergarten and my daughter was in preschool and my grandmother passed and we were lucky enough at the time the kids had two great grandmas alive and my son was having trouble trying to work out how this great grandma thing worked. I've got a grandma but your mum, like what is all this? So I was trying to explain it to him. It got really complicated and I started going looking for books and I did find one book called Family Forest by Kim Kane and I went, maybe there's room for another book and so it's sort of triggered from there but I didn't really start writing the manuscript until 2014 and my sister-in-law was studying my husband's family at the time and doing all the ancestry.com stuff and tracking the family and we're finding some really interesting things out actually fascinating stuff and the show who do you think you are was playing and we were watching the Australian version and my husband and I absolutely love watching who's been sleeping in my house. So fell in love with, yeah, history of houses and families and, yeah, so it sort of came from there. Yeah, and it's such an important topic and explaining Mm. it, as you said, is really quite complicated sometimes, particularly if, you know, it's a family dynamic where children maybe never had the opportunity to meet grandparents and we don't know what everyone's situation is. But as I said earlier, we've all been born into some dynamic of a family. So... What I love about Mm. Isla's family tree is the fact that it is so universal, Katrina, that as you said, there is a bit that a child Mm. will be able to pick and go, okay, I relate to that one and I understand Mm. this. And the family tree, the way that it has been portrayed in the book, is in such an easy-to-understand format for children. And I also Mm. love, I've looked at the teacher's notes, the craft activities are just so wonderful for them to experience and understand their ancestry. And Mm. you can tell us a little bit more about that activity, but it's something that kids all around the world, particularly right now at this time in in history, can actually have the time, and they're with family so much, Mm. have that ability to actually bond, you know, enhance the bond and the family connection. So tell us a little bit Mm. more about that. I don't want to take your limelight of explaining that, but those teacher notes are a beautiful way to further enhance the messages that Isla's family tree just in a wonderful way portrays and holds within it so yes tell us a bit more 
Prue drew a couple of extra pages that we added to the teacher's notes and they can be found on the EK website, which is ekorg.com, or I've also got them on my website. You can download them and have a look at them. There's a couple of pages in there. They've got some leaves drawn on it and a few trunks and you can cut them out. And each leaf represents one person in your family and you can choose I'd choose a part of your family like choose the mother's side of the family or the father's side of the family because it can get complicated if you don't know them once keep it nice (laughs) and simple and ask the child to write the names down of the people in the family and I also suggest writing the relationship underneath that so brother mother auntie uncle and they'll start seeing patterns and get them to pick the patterns out like oh hang on your sister is my auntie and your brother is my uncle and connections start forming once they can see a visual I think and if they're constructing the tree it starts to make sense I actually did a video of Lara my daughter and I sitting down pretending we were mama and Isla in the book and we were constructing our family tree on it's my side and my husband's side. So we didn't go grandparents. We just went parents and siblings of the parents. So we did aunties and uncles and we did niece and nephew as well. And that video can be found. I've just put it on my YouTube channel today and EK Books, I think, of going to put it on their YouTube channel. And nice. we demonstrate how to make that tree and we have finished examples of it. And I actually photocopied the leaves on orange and pink paper. So it's similar to the colours made in the book. Yeah. And I encourage people to use those colors sort of color code the family like so orange leaves for dad's side and pink leaves for mum's side and it just sort of makes it all a bit easier and then Prue made a paper isla doll and she's demonstrated in that video as well those templates are not a part of the teacher's notes not on my website anyway they might be on the eco website yeah so it's a paper doll and it's just so beautiful She's just so beautiful. So, yeah, but at the family tree, gosh, I'd love to see photos of kids who have used those templates to make their little family tree. Yeah, that's Katrina's call to action there. Please send her your family tree craft activities that you do at home to Katrina McCaffrey. Yes. <laughs> yes. That, let's just say it, Katrina. Yeah, but I, I think it'd just be amazing. And that's part of that author feedback is that you don't always get to see the positive impact it has on kids. So anything like that is just so meaningful and it's so wonderful. So in a few words, Katrina, why do you think Isla's Family Tree is such an important story? It's all about connections. How are we connected together? And it doesn't have to be by blood. And the core of the story is love. That love connects people together. And we might be able to draw branches and write names on leaves, but the core of a family is love. And that's what I hope people get out of it. And how do we all belong? Where do I belong in my family? How do I fit in? And that all families are special and unique and normal. So, you know, my family is not unique any more than anybody else's family is unique. And it doesn't matter that, you know, you might have gay aunties in your family and someone else doesn't. It doesn't matter. If you're connected by love, you're part of the family. So that's the core, love, family, connections, belonging. Thank you, Katrina. What a beautiful summary. What a beautiful summary. I didn't even have to do that. You did that so well. Thank you. (laughs) So why don't you tell us where we can learn more about you? Where can listeners go to find out more about you? And you've mentioned EK Books and thank you for doing that because Isla's Family Tree has been published by EK Books. So certainly there's information at the EK Books website. Where can we find out more about you too, Katrina? Yep, so I have a website, which is www.katrinamckelvey.com. You can also put my name into any 
search engine and you will find my Facebook page, Instagram, my YouTube channel, my Twitter account, and I'd love to connect with anybody on there. You're most welcome to tag me on any of those social medias if you are posting photos of any of those craft (laughs) activities because I really, 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 really would like to see them. And there's also a contacts page on my website, so if people want to send messages, they're most welcome to do so. Fantastic. Katrina, it's been an absolute pleasure. Any final few words as take-home messages to parents, carers, educators or children? Yes. So I want parents to stop. Just stop. And what a great time now to stop we everything. <laughs> and just, I know it took a virus, but to do it, didn't it? And just share literature with each other. Just share writing, share a book, share time together you know, get cosy on the lounge and, you know, get books out of that to read pile and just share books together. Educators, can you please just let children write for fun? Not because you want them to do a a starter in the day or because you're studying for standardised testing or because the curriculum says you have to do it. Just let them write for fun and celebrate that because we don't want to kill the natural motivation kids have for writing because we've got to assess something. And to the kids out there, I don't want you to hold anything back when you're writing. Just let your imagination go wild. You're the boss. Deborah Bell always says that. You're the boss of your own writing. That's what's so good about being an author. And let crazy things happen in your stories and people will love to read them, I'm sure. Fantastic. Katrina, you have been a valuable gem and no doubt that the value that's been passed on to families, children, educators, wannabe authors has been taken on board. So thank you so much for sharing the Spotlight on Children's Author episode today of Chat About Children. Thank you very much for having me, Sonia. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Such wonderful and valuable gems shared there by Katrina McKelvey, children's author. And congratulations again, Katrina, on the launch of Eyeless Family Tree published by EK Books. Now, if you've enjoyed today's episode, please remember to share with family, friends, and with colleagues. And also remember to check out the website, chataboutchildren.com. And do feel free to leave a rating and review for the Chat About Children podcast. Thank you so much for your attention today. I celebrate you and look forward to chatting soon. Thanks for joining the Chat About Children with Sonia Vestalich, www.chataboutchildren.com.